Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before the crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your current positions and follow it. Then you will know the way to go, since you have never been this way before. Standing on the edge of the promise, God commands his people. He commands his people. Could you imagine that Joshua leading the country of God's chosen people? And they look over, over a great division, a great division into the promise. Yet there's something that God has to do miraculously in order for him to get it. If I come off today as angry or frustrated, maybe it's angry or frustrated at the flesh. I mean, sometimes you ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired? You've heard this? Yes. Yeah. You get sick and tired of the flesh running your life. You get sick and tired of the sin in your life dominating you. It's hard to preach to a crowd where you know just about everybody. But in a sense, it's easy too. Because you know they're just like you. Amen. They're just like you. And as God has spoken to us over the last couple weeks, why is it that he slims us down to just a few, sends most out of the country, and then speak to, speak to us about idol worship? Hmm. You know what that does? It goes, okay, it can't be them because they're gone, and there's just a few of us in the room, so that narrows the percentages down, and it must be me. It must be me. Lord, I thought I gave my life to you. I thought I gave you everything. I'm not an idol worshiper. How can I have idols in my life? You're the king of my domain. Really? Really? Do you have idols in your land? Do you call yourself a common Christian? If you call yourself common, there is no such thing. You might be on the edge of the promise and not in the promise. You might be on the edge of the promise or not in the promise. You know what this means? Exclusion from the promise. What does exclusion from the promise mean? Moses was excluded from the promise. He was excluded from the promise. Does that mean he was excluded from the presence of God for eternity? Did we not see him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did he not say that he went to see his fathers? Is it possible that we gain eternal life yet walk through on this planet through our whole life and be excluded from the promise? What excludes us from the promise? Is it idols? Is it separation? What is an idol? These are all questions. You know what the world does? It points out all the problems and gives you no answers. It gives you no answers. But you know what the Word of God does? It heals you. It gives you the answers. As I glean into the book of Joshua, and if you'll appease me this day, I'm going to call him Yeshua because in Hebrew this is his name. And I think it'll paint a picture for you without me even speaking to you. Because when you say Yeshua, you say the same name, which is Jesus. And when you look into the Word of God and you see Jesus, as he leads the Israelites, God's chosen people, on the edge of the promise, and they look over in it, but they're not quite in it. 
something happens. Something happens where they have to trust God, where they have to put their foot in the water before it even parts. I want to do something today. I want to provoke a fight. I want to provoke, provoke an attack on you. You say, why do you want to do that? Because God said, I harden their hearts and provoke them to attack you so that you may eliminate them and so there will be no more enemies in your land. I'm going to bring them before you so that you can conquer them. I'm going to bring them before you so they'll be no longer in existence. This is why I do that. I show you mercy and love by bringing your enemy in front of you. And if I get him in front of you, you're going to recognize that I put the power in you. I put the strength in you. And I put the weapons in your hand to conquer it. Did I not command you? Did I not command you? Be strong and courageous. He's equipped you beforehand for the battles he has set before you. Amen? Amen. When you look in the book of Joshua, if you see in Joshua failure, if you see mostly failure in Joshua, you see the you see God's people and you see some of the, the fights that they fought and you go, well, they won most of them, one or two they lost. Then maybe it's the failure that's in you and it doesn't have to be that way. Why is there failure in your life when God said he come to conquer this? Stand up. Get off your face. God said to Joshua when he found himself losing the victory. He said, get off your face. The reason there's failure, the reason you lost the battle is because there's sin in the camp. Brother Charlie pointed out very clear to us, very clear to us, the sin in the camp. And that it was in their own personal tent. All the way down to Joshua's own son. His own son. It was in his own tent under his own earth where he hid it. Where he found sin. And this was the one sole reason that they lost the battle. You got it? One man held sin. Yet the whole army was defeated. Your actions, your life is affecting someone else. to provoke an attack. The way I'm going to do that, when I, when I put the word of God out today, something's going to attack your thoughts. Something's going to attack your mind. As I'm speaking, sleepiness will come on you. As I'm speaking, your thoughts will reign somewhere else because of sin nature reigns. This means there's idols in the land. This means there's something of separation. I want you to focus today. Focus like Flint. That means forward, straight, not giving up, being determined to tell the flesh today, I'm going to listen. Today, I'm going to give heed to the word of God and I'm going to let it change me. I'm going to let it change me. When we see our team go out and every time we go out, we go into third world countries and what you see every time is demon possession of some kind. And you say, why don't you see that here? Why don't we see great miraculous signs here? Well, let me ask you something. Do you see great quantities of demon possession among us? Do we get that every Sunday? No. You know what we get? Idol possession. We get idol possession. And I guarantee you, it's raining in this place today. In this place today, idol possession reigns. 
Because like Brother Zeke said, it's beautiful. It's seductive and it's it's got you it's got your mind. Somewhere else you don't even you don't even realize it. You know why? Because your flesh likes it. You see, I can't be an idol worshiper. Oh yeah? The word says you are. Now that didn't come from me, that comes from the word. And you can deal with that with, with the word. This is the word fighting for me. So I put it out. Now you deal with the word, not me. Amen. Turn with me to Joshua 3. Today, as the enemy wars against you, as God's word's trying to be portrayed to you, the way he's going to do that is he's going to try to blind you. He's going to try to veil your eyes so that you can't see what God's trying to show you here. He's going to make you deaf so you can't hear the word. I'm going to tell you it's, it's the attitude of the hearts. Those who will receive it, they will receive it today. Those who want it bad enough, those who are hungry, those who are sick and tired of being sick and tired will have it. It will be manna from heaven. It will be like you just came from the feast of a king. Because it's the word of God. It has nothing to do with me. And those who won't hear it are blind, deaf, mute, and dumb. They stand on the edge of the promise. You might think you're in the promise. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're an idol worshiper. I'm going to tell you the truth, you're a dead man walking. You're a dead man walking. You're deceived. You're deceived by that beautiful Jezebel spirit. You're deceived by that thing that tells you, that tells you you're okay. But what does the mirror, the divine mirror, the word of God say? It might confirm to you. Like the scripture says, the spirit will bear witness with my spirit. That I am saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, all these things. Or it'll convict you. Because the word does two things. It hardens or it sets free. The longer you stay around it, the harder you'll get or the freer you'll get. What is it? Joshua 3. You have... Move out of your current positions because I'm going to send you a way you've never gone before. A way you've never gone before. Joshua 3, 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves this day. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is consecration. This is how you consecrate yourself. How? Fine idols. And crushed him, like Brother Zeke said. God has spoken very clearly to us in the last couple weeks. There's sin, there was sin in the camp. What you do with them is find them and crush them. Today I want to declare to you that God's giving you the way to crush them. But mm. he doesn't give worldly wisdom. He gives godly instruction on how to cure the problem. He will not put a band-aid on your open wound. He wants to heal you set you free, and send you on your way to do the work He set before you. Amen? Amen? The Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Yeshua, today, 
I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel. So they made known that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Now the river was at flood stage. It was at flood stage. That means there was currents. It was danger. There was no crossing it with a whole nation, much less one man. It was at flood stage. And he said, go, tell the priests, put their foot on the edge of the promise. Put their foot on the edge of the promise because tomorrow I'm going to do great things among you. Look at it. Dwell upon it. And also recognize that there's a division of judgment in between you and it. The waters represented judgment. The waters represented judgment and it separated it from the promise. On one side they stood, but yet God had to separate the judgments, the judgment in order to make a way into the promise. What happens next? Yeshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivarites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. I want to make a point. These people do not exist anymore. Do not. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. That's great. So what God did, as the people, of the, pro uh, the people who were to possess the promise stand on the edge of it and hadn't yet received it, what he does is part the judgment. He parts the water so that they can cross over on dry land. And what does he do? He heaps it up in a town called Adam, which is uh, in Hebrew, man. So he takes the judgment, he separates it. He separates it and he takes judgment and then he pushes it on mankind in order for his redeemed to enter into the promise. Are y'all getting this? Are you getting this? Yeshua leads them through on dry ground and they for the first time set foot on the promise. Yeshua said to the Israelites, come up here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. I love that. 14. So when the people broke camp in the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Anybody who's been in the study of Hebrews knows. Knows that when the Ark of the Covenant was with the people, this is where they went. To meet the presence of God. And so they carried it on the men, uh, shoulders of men across the Jordan. And it stood in the middle of the Jordan. And the presence of God had held back the judgment. The presence of God had held back the judgment as the people crossed over. God made a way. God made a way. And who led them through? It was Yeshua. Yeshua led them through. 
So the people crossed over to Jericho. 17. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation completed crossing the ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Yeshua, Choose twelve men from among the people who from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, right from where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. So Yeshua called together 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one tribe, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up one stone up a stone on each shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future when you tell your children and when they ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel. How long? Forever. Forever. Have you ever had heavy burdens? When God called you from the edge of the promise and separated and made provision through the judgment to the promise, what he does is have you carry a heavy burden. He called the people. He called the people and he said, go. And as you cross into this, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And a matter of fact, I want you to put it upon your shoulders. And a matter of fact, if you carry my presence upon your shoulders, it might even be heavy. It might even be heavy for a while because we're going to get rid of some things. We're going to get rid of some things. We're going to get rid of some items. We're going to get rid of some sin. We're going to get something that's torn your life apart. We're going to get rid of something that's been a burden to you. And what are we going to do? We're going to step foot on the promise. And it's going to come to you, become to you a testimony, a memorial. When you look back upon it, you're going to say, that was hard. That was not easy to carry that, that upon my shoulder. It wasn't easy. But you know what he did? You know what he did to these stones? He wrote their name upon it. Tell me that's not you. Tell me it's not you. When your name was written on the burden, when it was written on the burden that you had to carry, across the Jordan, through the judgment, in order to receive the promise. And what did they do? They set it up as a testimony, as a memorial. So when they told their children, and generation after generation, about the Lord, they didn't tell them about how great it was that the Lord separated some waters. He'd done that before with Moses. How great was that? He separated a sea, and you want to tell them about a river? No, the great part was he brought you through judgment. He brought you through judgment. And he placed your name upon the rock. Amen. And he put a memorial stone in your life. And he set you upon the promise. Amen. Amen. He did it. You never done it. What you did was obey. It was obedience. And what obedience brought you was the promise. Fifteen, the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. 
So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And the priest came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground, but the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stages before. You come into the promise, yet there's still a separation. It's a separation for the world. You must pass through judgment. God must make a way. He must make provision for you to pass through the judgment onto the promise. And he's done that by his son. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. You know what's beautiful about this for y'all that like to study? On the tenth of Abib, they crossed over. Or Nisan, they call it now. And so this was ten days. Four days later, or three days and three nights, they ate the Passover. They ate the Passover. And so something that was significant that happened some years later, that there was a lamb that was slain on Passover. It just so happened to be on the 14th of Nisan. On the 14th of Nisan, Yeshua was slain for the sins of all mankind. On the 14th of Nisan, the people of the promise ate Passover while setting foot on the promise. In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. A memorial. A memorial of a great day. A great and glorious day when you set foot upon the promise. And what happened next? It was wartime. It was wartime because God didn't bring you in that to keep you not busy, not still. The very first thing that Joshua encountered after crossing over into the promise was the commander of the Lord of, of the Lord's army. And what he said, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. You're on holy ground. You're on war ground. The Lord your God did to, the, uh, did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until he had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. That who might always fear? You. 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 This is about you. This is about me. He does this for you and for me. And what do we do? We set up memorials and boundary stones to proclaim the greatness and the power of God. Gilgal was the first place they set their foot and they set up camp. I love this. I love this. Well, Gilgal, you know what happened at Gilgal? That was the first time. When they thought about for generations to come and look back at Gilgal, they thought this was the first time. This was the first time we can look at Gilgal and say, this is where he delivered us. This is where he spoke to us. And what did he say? Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Israel, of Egypt from you. I have rolled away the reproach of the world from you. I took away that burden that you were carrying and made it a testimony for you. 
and you can remember that's the first time. I don't know what romance is, but I call that romance. Later, Gilgal became the judgment seat. Samuel sat as judge in Gilgal and made judgment upon the people of God the first time. This is where sacrifices were made. This is where altars were set up in Gilgal. This was their camp. This was the place that they came back to when they would go out for war and come to rest. They would rest in Gilgal. It was their home camp. Tell me this is not me and you. Tell me. Tell me the stones aren't me and you. Tell me the promises wasn't meant for you and I. I love it. Something else happened. This is a place where they ran into uh, a, a people called the Gibeonites. A city on a hill is what their name meant. And what did they do, Joshua and the Israelites? made covenant with them they made covenant with them the only people out of the whole promise that submitted to the will of Yeshua and the people the rest of the promise they all come against them and they paid dearly for it chapter 5 now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites, until, until we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Okay, I'll tell you why I like this part. Because when you set foot on the promise, what happens instantly is there's resistance. There's resistance. There's territory after territory set in the promise that God said, go and take it. It's yours. But there's a problem. There's giants in the land. There's giants in each territory. In each one, there's something different. I had to fight this one this way, and I had to fight this one this way. And I'm war weary. And battle after battle is wearing me down. But what's happening is the tide is turning. The tide is turning. You go into the promised land. And you meet resistance. But after you fight. And you fight. And you take territory after territory. What happens? As the resistance becomes the resistant. You say, what do you mean? They start to shake in their boots. Fear comes upon them. They get shut up in their cities. They get shut up in their cities because they hear the sound of the redeemed. They hear the sound of the redeemed. They hear them when they shout and when they praise and when they stomp and then when they trust their God. When they trust Him, they hear them and they come together and they link arms and they say, I'm not afraid. This is my promise. This is my promise. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. God gave me a promise and He told me to go and take it. And the enemy starts to shudder in his boots because you raise up the name of Yeshua. You raise up his name and you take authority, the blood-bought authority that was given to you, and you say, it's mine. It's mine. No longer will I be defeated. No longer will these enemies take over me. It's my promise. 
We become the resistance. It's our promise. They're renters in our land. We become the resistance. No longer do they, res they're the resistance to us. You ask, how do you do this? That's what we're going to get to. We are the resistance. They say, fight the resistance. You tell the enemy to fight the resistance. You tell the enemy to fight the resistance because we are the resistance. I'm talking about reputation. I'm talking about the reputation of the body of God. I'm talking about the reputation of the body of Messiah on this planet. When people look among us, when the enemy tries to come against us, when idols reign in our land, when they try to dominate our lives, when they try to penetrate our hearts, when they try to take over the promises that God gave us, he promised, he's our father, he promised. Where's the fault? Where's the fault? Reputation. Are we the hope of the nations? Are we Messiah to the rest of the world? Chapter 15, 515. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I love this. I took a quote from uh, some archaea, archaeological, I say that word. Thank you. <laughs> I found this. It's called the writings of the Tel Amarna tablets. It was found, dug up and found, written in stone. And it said, I quote, Adonai Zadik, which was one of the Amorite kings, wrote to the Egyptian rulers. Behold, I say that the land is ruined. The wars are mighty against me. The Hebrew chiefs plunder all the king's lands. Behold, the chief Amorite, I am breaking in pieces. I am breaking in pieces. Please help. He went to the leaders of the Egyptian rulers to the world and said, help me. Help me because the redeemed the ones who claim that this is their land, their promise, they're taking over, they're ruining my land. Help me. I am breaking into pieces. Come on. You got to have that attitude. That's for you. That's for you and for me. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Turn with me to chapter 9. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Yeshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, what he had done, they resorted to a ruse. They got a, a strategy, a plan. They said, some of the great cities, Ai and Jericho, they've fallen. They've fallen to the redeemed. 
They've fallen to the people of this promise, they said. And what are we going to do? We're going to submit to their will and therefore be saved. We're going to submit to the will of, of God's promise and be saved in order that we not become destroyed. So what did the Gibeonites do? They dressed up. They dressed up in order to save themselves. They succeeded. They got Joshua and Israel to make a covenant them, with them. They said, we, were, we are a faraway country. We're a faraway country. We don't live near you, which they did. They live next town over. And they said, please make a covenant with us that you will not destroy us like you did the rest. Joshua said, no problem. Mercy triumphs. Okay. But then he found out. Then he found out. But the problem was he already made covenant with them. He already made covenant with them. And even though their sin was found out, the covenant saved them. The covenant saved them. What did he say? He said, from this day on you'll be cursed. You're going to be woodcutters and water carriers in the house of your God forever. House of my God forever. I love this because what I found, the King James Version says, hewers of wood and drawers of water. Hewers of wood, drawers of water. And if you dig even deeper, it says that they would be also carriers of wood and seekers of water. Come on. I'm talking about carrying a cross. I'm talking about carrying a cross in the house of our God. I'm talking about water seekers, the ones who draw water for the house of God. This is not me speaking to you. This is the word. You see why psychology doesn't have the answers? Medications don't always have the answers. But the word of God always has the answers. Worldly wisdom gives all the problems but no solutions. The solutions are always found in the word of God. Look at chapter 10. This is where it gets good. In Jewish history, what's about to happen is called the greatest war in Jewish history. They called it the greatest war in Jewish history. And I questioned that. I said, why is this the greatest war in Jewish history? And then when you read it and understand it, it was because it established the boundaries of the promise. It established. And to this day, it's still the most important battle in Jewish history. Chapter 10. Now Adonai, Zadik, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai as his king and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters, mighty men of God. So Adonai Zadik, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Hiram, king of Jarmuth, 
Japheth, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, the city on the hill. He said, because it has made peace with Yeshua and the Israelites. You ever heard of guilt by association? Mm. Found guilty because in covenant, the Gibeonites have all kings surrounding them. The great kings coming against them because they made covenant with the mighty nation of Israel, Yeshua, and the people of the promise. Sometimes it costs to align yourself with, with God. <laughs> I love this. Then the five kings of the Amorites and the kings of Jerusalem, and they name all five. If you're a city on a hill and you found yourself, you found yourself in covenant with Yeshua and all of a sudden you become overwhelmed because all his enemies now come against you. What are you going to do? You're going to cry out to him. You're going to cry out to him. <laughs> You're going to say, here's what the flesh says. You're, you did this to me. You did this to me. Help me. Yes, that's a selfish prayer. And you know what? He answers that one. Because it, it, it has to do with his name. His covenant. He knew what he was doing when he bought you. He knew what he was doing when he would cut a blood covenant with you. He knew that he would step, have to step up and fight for you. This is why he did it. So you would know. So you would come to know him. So you would come to know who he is and what his name actually is means chapter 6 the Gibeonites then set then sent word to Yeshua in the camp of Gilgal do not abandon your servants come up to us quickly and save us help us Hosanna to the king save us now because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Yeshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. That's a good feeling. Is it? Amen. Where did he come from? The first they, the place they first met. The place they were, uh, the place that they were circumcised in. In Gilgal, he circumcised, circumcised the people. In Gilgal, he rolled away the approach of Egypt. And Gilgal was the first place that they met. And Gilgal was the first place that they set the, their foot upon the promise. And so Yeshua marched up from there and his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Yeshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Hmm. After a all-night march from Gilgal, Yeshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into great confusion before history, who defeated them in the great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Moran and cut them down all the way to Azekah. I love this. At Makeda. You know what Makeda means? 
The place of the shepherds. The place of the shepherds. They battled in the place of the shepherds. Everybody ran, and they ran to one spot. The enemy ran to one spot. The Gibeonites ran to one spot. Yeshua ran to one spot, and that was the place where the people would be shepherded. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Haran and to uh, Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from hailstones than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Yeshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of uh, Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. And it goes on to say, Surely the Lord fights for Israel. Isn't it good that you're aligned with Israel? That you're in covenant with Yeshua? That Yeshua would come in a hurry? He would march overnight? And that he would come with him as his best fighting men? And his old, whole army? Are y'all following me here? <laughs> what they do here, they successfully became the resistance. They successfully became the resistance. When they first entered the land, they were the resistance. They were the, they had resistance. Now they have become the resistance. What God gives here now, next, is one beautiful picture. As the sun stood still and the moon stopped, what he gave was five ways out. Five ways out. And we know in the Bible the number of five is the number of grace. I want to tell you today that grace is not your avenue to freely sin. Grace is your avenue for a way out of sin. And as we see five kings here, it has something to teach us. And I'm going to show you that today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Chapter 16. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in a cave in Makeda. When Yeshua was told that the five kings had been hidden in the cave of Makeda, he said, roll away large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and the pope and post some of your men there to guard it. But don't stop. But don't stop. So we're in the place of the shepherds again. In Makeda. And we got five kings. And so today we're going to look at five kings. And I'm going to tell you this. They're five, they can be five attributes. Or they can be five idols. They can be five strongholds in your life. Or they can be five ways out. Five ways out. And five ways into the promise of God. Amen. Can you help me see? Now we're going to do a check. Who's having trouble listening? Who's having trouble receiving? Because I told you I was going to provoke an attack. And I got to tell you, there's things unseen going on in here. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands. I'm asking you to do a heart check. I'm asking you to do a mind check. 
I'm asking you to ask yourself, am I under attack? I'm asking you to ask yourself and look deep in your heart. Are there things trying to separate you from hearing what God has for you today? Because you did not come here to leave the same. You did not come here to be unfed. Why did you come here? Did you come here because somebody made you? Did you feel obligated? Or is it, is it your love for the Lord? Because I want to tell you, the intentions of your heart can separate you from God. The intentions of your heart can separate you from the promise and the things that God wants to give you. Why did you come here today? Uh, verse 16. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave of Makeda, he said, roll away large, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some, of, some men to guard it. But don't stop. Don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear. And don't let them reach their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hands. So where are we at? We're in the place of a shepherd, and we have five kings, and their armies are still on the loose. So what Yeshua does is he closes them up in a hidden place. He captures them in a cave, and now they're hiding. They're hiding, and their armies are still open uh, for war. So the people go back, and they defeat every one of them. They defeat every one of them. And then they go back to deal with the head or the authority or the issue or the root of the problem. And here at Maquette, in the place of the shepherd, they deal with the root issues. And so when they open up the cave, the word of the Lord gives us a way out. And so what we have behind here today is five kings we have five kings. And you're welcome to look at these notes and come up here after. Because I understand they're small and not everybody can see those. But I want you to bear with me. And I'll tell you what they say. I want to tell you when you enter over into the promise. When you come into the promise, it may look dark first. It may look like a dark place. It may seem to be a very dark place because each territory must be taken. Each territory must be taken. This is the land of giants and our fathers that were before us, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were giant killers. They were fighters. And you know what? They never seen the promise. Yet they still fought for it because they knew, they seen it was for. Men, valiant enough, faithful enough to fight for a promise that they thought maybe they would not even hear their own self. Fought for the promise to establish an opportunity for us to enter into a promise. Today, there is a promise. Verse 20. So Yeshua and all the Israelites... Destroyed them completely, almost to the man, talking about the armies. But the few who were left reached the fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Yeshua 
in the camp at Makeda. And no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, open up the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings. So they brought the five kings out of the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashish, and Eglon. When they had brought the kings to Yeshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your foot on the necks of the kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on the necks. Yeshua said to them, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Yeshua struck and killed the king, the kings, and hung them on five trees. And they were left hanging on trees until morning. I'm sorry, until evening. At sunset, Yeshua gave the order, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which is where they remain to the day. That day, Yeshua took Makeda. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed it, everyone in it. He left no survivors. No survivors. This was a violent jealousy, a violent love, and he has no remorse towards your enemies that try to come against you. Amen. Now what's happening here today is a very, very clear and elementary way of eliminating the kings that try to come against you in your life. What is a king? A king has authority over a territory and a kingdom. A king is an owner and a controller. What is he an owner and controller of? He's our owner and controller of the promise or a territory. And so it's very easy to see that this territory can be a territory or an area in a part of your life. In a part of your life. And so what the word of God is trying to speak to us today is who is the owner and controller over your promises? Who's the owner and controller of your territory? And which one is it that's not given over to the Lord? Adonai Zadik means Lord of Righteousness. <laughs> Lord of Righteousness. You say, right off the top, you say, well, that sounds like our God. Mm. That sounds like our God. But let me tell you something. The idols in this world look like our God, mm. but they're false. Mm. If there's a reality, there's always a counterfeit. Anything that poses or uh, exalts itself uh, against our God is an idol. Anything that separates you from, our, from your God, from the God. No, he's your God. He's the God. Because you're going to bow to him one day, today or at the judgment. Adonai Zadik. Lord of righteousness. Over what territory? He was over the territory of Jerusalem. What? Over my peace? Over the city of peace? Adonai Zadik, the Lord of Righteousness, was a false king, a man-appointed king that sat upon the throne of Jerusalem. He was a man-appointed king that sat upon the throne of Jerusalem. God did not appoint him to be there. Y'all get that? God did not appoint him to be there. 
You know what this is? This is a false sense of peace. This is a false sense of peace. And you know how it's exposed when the storms of life come. You got you, you got what you call peace, and when the storms of life come, you break into pieces. And you can't stand it. Everything that comes against you makes you crumble because you're not set upon the rock. Because there's a man-appointed king on your throne. There's a man-appointed king on the throne of your peace. There's enemies inhabiting your land, the territory of peace in your life. Shalom, right order. Can you flip those for me? So what happens is when you expose this king, when you expose this king, this territory, and you say, you know what? This is an idol. This is not right. This is the giving over to the Lord. What happens is you put the God-appointed king as authority over Jerusalem in your life. You put the God-appointed king over Jerusalem in your life and right order comes. Shalom comes. Peace comes. And what happens? This is the promise of peace. Your father promised you peace. He's going to tell you how to get it. you got to fight for it. Amen? Amen. Next king, Hoham, means Yahweh compelled. That one took me a while to figure out because that clearly says Yahweh compelled. And you go, okay, that can't be an enemy king. His name is Yahweh. But if you know Yahweh compelled or Yahweh, the one who made covenant with, compelled you, or a God who made covenant with, compelled you. What's a covenant? Is it a promise? Yes. Okay. Is it a possibility that there's a false king sitting on your throne of the promise you ever see a compulsive liar? You ever think that there might be a compulsive promise keeper? A promise maker? King Hoham. King Hoham of Hebron. This is the compulsive promise maker. Out of your zealousness, you make promises to God. Out of zealousness, you make promises to others. But you have no power to follow them through. No power to follow them through. What was he king over? Hebron. The name Hebron meant the land of four giants. Hebron was the land of four giants. And the compulsive promise maker ruled over the land of four giants. Is there four giants in our life? The Bible declares the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of pride of life, and the greatest sin, unbelief. Four giants. In this territory, the compulsive promise maker reigns. But when you flip them, but when you recognize them for what they are and go through the process in which God's about to give you, they become compelled by the promise. All of a sudden, your intentions and why you do what you do is because you're compelled by the promise. The promise of love. 
the promise of eternal life, the promise of eternity with Him. You see what's good about the land of Hebron? Was that the land of four giants was its old name. You know what happened when they took the land? They renamed it. You know what it became? A city of refuge. A city of refuge. And you so know what this promise is? It's the promise of a new name. It's the promise of a new name. It's the promise of a new identity. This is where God revises your past. He revises your past and you look back to the memorial stone and nowhere else. You look back to the time of when he redeemed you and nowhere else. Because everything else is bought, paid for, and washed away. The promise of a new name. The next king, Param. This was a wild donkey of a man. This is what his name meant. He was lawless, uncorrectable, rejected the leading of the spirit at all times. And he was the king over Jarmuth. He was self Elevated pride, because the name means elevation. Elevation. And so when you're lawless and uncorrectable, rejecting the lead of the Spirit, he's self-elevating pride. you got to guess what the promise of this one is. Switch it for me, Z. Y'all going to love this one. It's a prosperity message. This is the promise of favor. Tell me who don't want favor in here. Anybody does not want favor in here. This is the promise of favor. You know why? Because when you go from unteachable, uncorrectable, a donkey of a man, and you go to teachable, humble, and correctable, Proverbs 22.4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Humility. These bring wealth, honor, and life. This is the promise of favor. Japheth, the king over Lashish, is a self-glorifying, over-sufficient spirit. You say, what do you mean? His name means splendor. And you get into a place where you try to outshine God. You get into a place where you out try to outshine God, and you say, what do you mean? This is a self-depending Lashish means invincible, a self-dependent spirit. I want to tell you, God created you to be God-dependent. God-dependent, not self-dependent. This is a self-glorifying, go ahead, self-glorifying, over-sufficient spirit. You say, what do you mean over-sufficient? Aren't we supposed to become over-sufficient? Yeah, well, let me tell you something. It, aren't we start, supposed to step, stay in step with the spirit? Do we ever get ahead of him? Do we ever put our place in the place of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Do we ever put our foot in the place of God? We take care of ourselves too much in order that he can't take care of us. Do we do for ourselves what he wants to do for us? What's this release? This releases the authority of a fearless joy. You say, what do you mean a fearless joy? Well, let me ask you something. When you become invincible, when you become God-dependent, the promise of provision. When you know God's going to provide. If you knew today that your bills would be paid for, that your mouth would be fed, as long as you trust God, will you not be fearlessly full of joy? 
Amen. Will you not have joy unspeakable and full of glory like the Bible says? Will you not? I would. Do I have to fight that every day? Yes. Is it the promise that if I trust him, I'll have a fearless joy? I'll have a fearless joy because he is my provider. I am no longer self-sufficient. I'm God-dependent. De Beer. I love this one. The name means holy of holies or the place of the word in me. The place of the word in me. What's the problem? When there's an owner and controller that's set on the throne of this area in my life, that's not God, but it's an idol, that's me and my man-made traditions. My own thoughts instead of his. My own logic. My own way of thinking. The problem is, like the prophecy that came forth, I don't have the word in me. I don't have his thoughts in me. I have my own thoughts. And if that's all I have to go on, guess where your source is? Your source is you. And you, my friend, are corrupt. Your conscience is corrupt. You need a daily washing of the mind. Where's the territory that this reigns over? Eglon. You know what Eglon meant? Bull-like. <laughs> Wait. A bull-like character. A bull-like character. This Come on now, we all to deal with this. A stubborn attitude, an unsubmitted will. The territory of the unsubmitted will in me. The stubborn attitude. We say, we're standing for the Lord. I say, you're being stubborn. You say, you ever meet a man that's been walking in the Lord for 20 or 40 years? They come off as stubborn, but they're standing. There's a fine line between the two. There's a fine line between stubborn and standing. What are you doing? Mm. You know what this is? It's the promise of real freedom. It's the promise of real freedom. And how do you get it? His ways. His presence and his thoughts. That was tasking and having to go through. But I'm telling you, remember, these kings were hidden away. These were authorities that tried to come against the people of God. They were the heads and the source that tried to come against. They were idols in the land. They were idols in the land. What'd they do to them? Hit them in a cave. What's beautiful about Joshua 10 is he gives you a very clear way to overcome. So what Joy's going to do is put up point one of how to overcome. We're going to call it Becoming the Resistance. We know this one very well, don't we? Resist the devil or resist the enemy and he will flee. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Step one, he put the, he put the stone over the cave, but he said, don't stop. Don't stop. Step number two. (laughs) 
destroy them completely. Mount an offensive attack. Mount an offensive attack. Do not stop by just hiding away the enemies in your stony heart. Do not stop by hiding this, capturing these enemies, putting them away. You know what Joshua did? You know what Yeshua did? He destroyed them completely, the word says. Godly sorrows bring repentance. Godly sorrows bring repentance. 2 Corinthians 17, godly sorrows bring repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrows bring what? Death. Death. Point number three. Expose the enemies hidden deep in your stony hearts. I told you they were hidden in caves, right? What did he do? He exposed them. He took them out of the caves and brought them into public display. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you need a uh, effective, powerful prayer in your life? Amen? Next point. This is second scripture. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of your heart, of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What is exposed and what is hidden? What is hidden in your stony heart? What is it separating you? What authority is hidden away that you haven't dealt with? What authority that you haven't dealt with that is not dead and still hanging around in your stony cave of your heart? Next, please. Take the blood-bought authority over the enemy's territory. Luke 10 and 19. I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing. Do we believe that? I heard a preacher say, is this going through one ear and out the other? Or is it sinking deep into our stony hearts? Will you let him roll away the reproach of Egypt today? Will you? Next. Accept God's sacrifice. His salvation plan. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive Whatever grievances you have, you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. <laughs> Recap. Before we move on. Yeshua comes to these five kings, pulls them out of a cave, says, do not stop. Destroy them completely. Opens up the mouth, takes them out. Come here, put your foot upon their neck, he says. Put your foot upon their neck. Take authority over them. And what you're about to do, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. What is he talking about? He's got his foot. He's got your foot on their neck. And he's commanding you. Do not be afraid. For what you're about to do, 
might scare you. For what you're about to do, you might need courage for. You ever had to deal with an authority in your life? You ever had to deal with an authority? Something that had dominion over you, power over you, and you had to muster up some courage to deal with it? You had to muster up some kind of strength. Do not be afraid. He says, do it anyway. Do not be afraid, for this will set you free. What does he do? Joshua struck and killed them, hung them on five trees, and left them hanging until evening. Next, please. Move forward in victory. When he hung them on a tree, he made public display of the sin that was coming against them, of the idols that were in their life. He put them on five trees. And do you remember? When you hang a man on a tree, he became a curse. Is that right? He cursed the idols or the sins or the kings that tried to come against them. He cursed them. He made a public display of them. He took the hidden idols, the hidden sin, and he made a public display on five trees. But he wasn't done yet. Very past idols. What was so different about heathen nations and the Israelites? Well, you would say they were kind because they buried their enemies. No, they were smart. They took these idols. They exposed them. They pulled them out the hidden places. They exposed them. They made public display of them. They destroyed them. And they buried them. Where they bury them? Back where they came. Never to be dealt with again. Philippians 3, 12, 21. Now that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that of which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if one, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Fighting for the promise. Are we getting this? A very quiet crowd, which I expected. Mm -hmm. I expected because I'm going to provoke, a, provoke an attack. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to focus like Flint, you're either going to be convicted and hardened or you're going to be set free. And they can both look the same because conviction and hardened, his glances a glaze over your eyes and you go to sleep because you're not part of the kingdom. Yet on the other hand, you're focused like Flint and you're trying to hang on to every single word. Because you know it's the word of life. For where can I go? Because you have the words of life. Where else would I go? Where else would I go? You have the words of life. I can't go anywhere else. I can't. Join with others and follow my example, brothers. And take note to those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. <clears throat> their destiny is what? Destruction. Their God is their stomach. 
what? God can be your stomach? I'm sorry, I didn't know I had idol worshipers. You mean my own stomach can be an idol? You, that must mean my mind can be an idol. What do you mean? You mean if I don't have the word of God and the right thinking, my thought processes and my pattern, if I'm dependent upon my own thought process and it's not washed by the word, yes, my friend, you are an idol worshiper. And you have no part in the kingdom. Their mind is on earthly things. Who falls in that category? But our citizen, citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the hope. It's the hope. Next, please. Have I not commanded you? Before we even started, before we even started, he equipped you. He equipped you. And he said, this is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to take. In a land of promise full of idols. In a land of promise full of enemies. In a land of promise where the territory is yours, but you must take it. It's going to take two things. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Yes. Do you have a spirit of slumber among you this morning? No, no, we have to. There might be idols in your way. <laughs> Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yes. yes. Are you tired? Are you weary from the war? Are you weary from the war that was set before you? Fight the good fight. Amen. Fight the good fight. There's good fights and there's bad fights. There's fights that Yeshua will come to your rescue. And there's fights that he will not show up. Because it's not allotted territory. It's not for you. But in every territory of the promise, he will show up with a mighty army. He will show up quickly. And what will happen next is a mighty collision of an enemy. Are we the resistance? Or are they overcoming you? The word clearly gives us ways out. Seven points. Seven ways out clearly in the word. Not man-made. Count them. Look at them. Study them. They're for you. It's elementary. You know what it takes? Obedience. Strength and courage.